Well, congratulations, you have matriculated here into the renowned Apartment Academy. And the Apartment Academy podcast we do here is the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast, which features insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. If you invest in multifamily real estate or you're involved in the day-to-day operations of apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing your ROI. And I'm your host, the Dean of the Apartment Academy, Daniel Cunningham. Today's podcast was with Matt Rogers. Matt Rogers is the VP of Operations at MEB, which is a a multifamily operator out of Arizona. And um, uh, Matt's discussion today really focused on the culture of MEB and the people at MEB and how that plays such a key role in their success. Operating apartment buildings feels like it is a about collecting rent. Matt will make a strong case for you today. It is about keeping on-site employees happy so that everything else happens as it should. Here he comes, Professor Rogers. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Daniel. Absolute pleasure to be here with you. We'd love to hear some of the origin stories of our of our guests, of our professors here at the hallowed halls of the Apartment Academy. Um, and uh, you have an interesting one. Uh, so let's just, before we, let, we want to learn about MEB and, and, and the great things you guys do in this industry, but let's start with you a little bit. Like, how did you get started in this industry? Share a little bit about that with uh, those that are listening. Yeah, so uh, I I'm been very fortunate to have a, a, a great little upbringing in the industry, if you will. Uh, my mom, uh, Mary Rogers, is an industry titan in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, she did everything in her power to try to keep me out of multifamily, and uh, including starting me at the ripe age of 13 and turning units and being a porter during the summer months. And I think I was making a whopping, you know, dollar fifty an hour back then. Don't, you know, obviously don't tell the labor department recorded, that. But uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I, I have, yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry about that, mom. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I had this unbelievable opportunity to experience multifamily uh, kind of at every level, You really starting out uh, really knowing nothing. And uh, just getting to show up and, and see kind of how things worked kind of day to day. It was uh, really neat. And I, and I did that every summer uh, in between, you know, kind of call it 13 up until, uh, you know, I moved off of the maintenance side and into the leasing world. And, uh, and I fell in love kind of with, you know, the cool, you know, unique things that multifamily operators get to do every day. And then it really became kind of tenfold when uh, I showed up one summer and lo and behold, there wasn't an open maintenance position. And man, talk about a wonderful problem to have in today's world that there were no open maintenance positions. And so I got the opportunity to go into leasing. And I distinctly remember leasing my first apartment and thinking how unbelievably cool it was to help people find their home and really kind of meet their needs. And ever since then, I've just, I've loved every day kind of the, again, the cool, unique things we get to do in this world. It's, it's, it's great. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I guess that will be one of the, one of the, um, 
the legends that the older of us in the industry will tell uh, the days when there used to be no vacant no uh there used to be no uh, ma maintenance positions available back in my day you could yeah. you, you couldn't get a maintenance job yeah it's a yeah. little different now um so that's but even so you 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 went to you went to school and you didn't study like you studied something quite different the so did you after college did you have a change of heart had you intended yeah, to go someplace else and then come back yeah, no, kind of interestingly enough. Uh, yeah, so, you know, went, was working all the way through my undergrad. I was playing college volleyball at the time and then uh, really decided um, after undergrad, I was almost positive I was going to go into law enforcement. And so, you know, my career path, everything that I was kind of doing was lining up to that uh, to that that field and, and, and entering law enforcement. But uh, I had a professor at ASU kind of grab me and go, hey, man, uh, I think you would be great in our master's program. We would love for you to get our a doctorate. And uh, he kind of, you know, sowed the seed of going on to the next level of education. And so I, I begrudgingly put off going into law enforcement and said, well, let me, you know, let me see what, you know, what school looks like at, you know, at the graduate level. And what was the the most impactful moment though for me was uh after i graduated and uh had my master's degree i was now needing to go move and find a place to go do another three years of, of continuing education and write my you know my doctoral thesis and i'll tell you there are a couple days in my master's thesis that i almost threw my computer out the window uh because it was you know just so intense but really uh, that the culmination of all of that came down to I missed the people I missed working with and engaging and selling and and talking with residents uh, and I know that's kind of uh, you know pie in the eye and, and a little silly but I miss that connectivity that uh, we all take for granted and, and I think we all are missing right now especially two years into the pandemic um, but I really miss that and uh, and again, I went back after graduating and I was looking at schools and I was applying and I was going through that process. And I realized, man, I, I just I love this industry. I love what I do too much. And uh, I, I always said, you know, I'll go back and get my doctorate when I retire. Uh, and uh, they can bury me as Dr. Rogers at that point. But I, I just fell in love with the industry and I couldn't I couldn't shake it and I didn't want to shake it. And so uh really the connection the connections to the people and the people i was working with was just too strong and and what a great problem to have you know i think that that uh that first experience you had on the leasing side is sort of the aha moment for a lot of folks that are that are accidentally in this industry is that they just they they said exactly what you just said i just love the idea i was helping people find their home that i was you know solving problems for them and that i was um uh making that this this life-changing personal connection for some people and and that's yeah. what really gets them forever and and uh and i think to go from porter to leasing agent to the vp of operations of i think probably the largest one of the largest operators in arizona for sure um speaks to how a love of of a passion for this industry can take you a very long ways in in a way that i think is not um, common in other industries so i love your story and, and love sharing it tell us a little bit about uh, MEB, um, uh, I, I mentioned you guys are, uh, you know, operating in Arizona, clearly, um, maybe you outside, operate outside Arizona, I'm not aware of, um, number of units, 
types of uh, you guys represent a large disparate type property types talk a little bit about that so we understand your company a little better yeah uh, again uh, meb is an unbelievable company i'm proud to be part of that organization so meb stands for morrison Eckery and bart uh and it was started by three absolutely fabulous wonderful women uh who just felt like they could do operations better they can they can create a, a wonderful company and culture that that approaches multifamily operations in a in a unique way and i gotta tell you they've done that and so uh, again, just an unbelievably cool company to be a part of. So 25,000 units under management. We're, we're in four states. Uh, Arizona's our main hub. But we're uh, uh, in New Mexico, Texas, and Tennessee. I get the great opportunity to oversee uh, not only Phoenix operations, but also Texas and Tennessee. Uh, and uh, just three great markets to be in. Uh, you know, probably the top three markets in the nation right now. Uh, depending on who you ask. And so really lucky to be part of those. But uh, MEB recently uh, brought in uh, a gentleman named Scott Cook, who was a former CFO of Graystar. And and Scott became a principal of the company uh, and has really uh, catapulted and, and continued to push MEB following in that those three ladies' uh, wonderful legacy and, and tenure. And so uh, there's been a really great, unbelievable dynamic that's been created uh, you know, with uh, Scott's interjection into MEB um, and then just kind of really what he brings to the table and coupling that with this unbelievable culture and focus on excellence that MEB is known for. So, again, really proud to be part of that organization. And mostly conventional units, but there's other unit types in the mix, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, we have a strong, affordable uh, business side. Uh, that's a real passion project. Uh, for us, uh, something that's that kind of hits to our altruistic nature, uh, and, and one of our principals and founders, Jody Shahan, uh, has really headed and, and run that part of MEB for a, a long, long time, and uh, again, really cool to see. But MEB also engages in and is part of uh, one of the largest single-family home operators in, in the nation with Next Metro Apartments. We have a number of Class A lease-ups. Uh, I think we have about 2,500 units uh, coming online in the next two to three years. That will be all uh, luxury Class A operations in, in Phoenix. Uh, so, yeah, we, we manage a lot of kind of cool and unique opportunities. We've also uh, really began and uh, continue this um, kind of new phenomenon of hotel conversions into multifamily. Uh, we, we've done a number in Phoenix. We have a, a couple that are underway in uh, Prescott uh, with a couple of our strategic partners. But we, we, we touch almost every aspect of multifamily, you know, from the conventional to the affordable to Class A lease-ups to the, now the single-family uh, home rental uh, sections of, of multifamily. Are those hotels, are they, uh, they provide those conversions, are they providing hybrid services where parts still hotel and they're providing hotel-like services to the apartment side or is it 100% conversion? Oh. 100% conversion, yeah, uh, and really a, a, an interesting concept. Working through it, uh, obviously you have to go through a, a number of processes to rezone it, uh, to, to go from uh, the kind of quote-unquote commercial uh, hotel aspect to the multifamily side. And there are some nuances there that we've, we've navigated well, you know, uh, e even down to making sure that it's parked appropriately. That, that's one thing that a lot of people kind of miss in these hotel conversions. But uh, once we do it, I mean, it, it really does a, does a great job of providing affordable, high-quality housing uh, 
without this kind of crazy lead time to go and wrap up a parcel of land, get it rezoned, and then now obviously working through the labor shortages and, and material shortages of developing multifamily, we're, we're doing it in a much faster time frame. So that, that's been something kind of unique that MEB's touched on in the, in the past couple of years. Interesting. I want to I want to talk about both those things, both the the single family sort of purpose built rent to own phenomenon we're yeah. seeing now, and then um, and let's talk more about conversions of of, of hotels into apartments because um, that's a very interesting from an investor standpoint, I think a really interesting subject. But I want to I want to touch on one more thing that that I noticed when we were looking at um, the, uh, the MEB website and thinking about things would be interesting to talk about today. And one is that. Um, MEB, one of the things that's on the website is that much more than management, you're here to increase the monetary value of assets while decreasing expenses. Uh, so where, where is your secret sauce in executing against that strategy? Like, how do you do that better than anyone else? Yeah, so, and, and MEB takes it from a really unique perspective. We, you know, we're, we don't go down a PNL and and you know just start calling out hell. Well, we could have we could have saved thirty cents on a screw, right? That I mean that's just a that's a, an absolute old school crazy way of thinking about it. But what we do is we employ we employ a number of 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 techniques that really help us get get to that bottom line of expense management, but also improving the monetary value. Number one is we truly believe in our culture resulting in better operations. So we know if we have happy employees, those individuals are going to work harder, they're going to work longer, and they're going to have better net results day in and day out. Uh, and, and those small nuances are translated to, uh, you know, to a bottom line. Uh, so again, our, our, we're seeing this happiness quotient, if you will, uh, being experienced by our by our employees, and that's translating, uh, you know, to the resident experience, to the prospect experience, where we have lower turnover numbers because they've really bought in and connected with our leasing team and our on-site management team, and so we know that those individuals that lead kind of by example, they, they show their happiness by example, those residents are going to want to stay and engage them. So that's number one. Uh, number two is we've engaged our, our property management software in a way that really focuses on business intelligence and key performance indicators being a real forward focused. So we're we're no longer playing defense. I think this idea of multifamily being very reactive to certain uh, engagements in the market or, or certain trends has historically been the case, but MEB doesn't engage in that process. We're very much forward looking. So all of our conversations uh, with our asset directors, our managers, the team down the line, I rarely reference physical occupancy. I'm always referencing a forward-looking trend because I know if I take care of that forward-looking trend, our occupancy is going to follow. And so we're, we're constantly focusing on that, that forward look, that, that next level perspective. And we're also making decisions based on that. But more so and, and, and more importantly to that than too, is we're having those conversations with the day-to-day -day operators. We're not kind of sitting up in this, this atmosphere that's creating in a, a, a workspace or an environment and nobody knows what's really going on on the ground floor. We're telling the people on site, we're, we're having those conversations with individuals that this is what we're thinking about and this is why we're doing what we're doing. And 
and and they just absolutely gravitate and and they buy in, uh, and that's a really cool and unique perspective. So you know those kind of two things without giving away all of MEB secret sauce are 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 you know are kind of our paramount focuses on on asset monetary development, but also learning how to limit expenses. Uh, and again, do we get do we get it right all the time? No, but are we right ninety five percent of the time? Yeah. So that that's really been our focus. Let's 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 really control those two functions of our operational space, and good things will happen for us. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I love the data forward uh, approach. I've you know obviously given my background that appeals to me, and when I think about looking forward operation, I think the most common thing people think of think of is we look at the least percentage, which is existing occupancy plus uh, you know uh, plus units that are on res reservation people that are coming in less those that are on notice giving to kind of your trend over the next 30 60 days anything else outside when you think about forward trend forward looking trends anything else you guys are looking at that you think you is interesting yeah well I mean and, and I'll kind of talk about Phoenix in general I mean obviously Phoenix has been just an absolute hot market uh, the past two two years and uh, even during the pandemic I mean Phoenix recovered all of the lost pandemic jobs in September of 2021 one of the fastest recovering uh, major MSAs in the entire United States Austin you look at the the job growth numbers and and all of the massive influx in into those markets uh, it, we we really kind of track and watch those macro level trends and try to pivot and adjust appropriately. So I, as an example, I had a, a call with a, a number of my direct reports, asset directors, and we were talking about rent projection growth in Q3 of this year and what those looked like and did they align with our budget understanding. We had this conversation on Monday. And that again, really talking about how we're going to view the next 60, 90, 120 days, six months out, how we're going to prepare ourselves to overcome potential hurdles, challenges that we might see. Are we going to see some slowdown in the you know net migration number? What, I mean, even, uh, and some, and Daniel, you'll laugh at this, but some of my asset directors even roll their eyes when I bring up, you know, non-farm you know, non-farm job report numbers from, you know, the Phoenix economic status. And it, it's, but those are, those are trends that we track and we watch because we know that those items directly impact our ability to absorb new units. You know, they directly impact where our pricing is probably going to shift. Are we going to continue to see double rent, you know, uh, rent growth numbers in Q3 of 2022? My answer is no, I don't think we will. And here are the factors that we're tracking that we think will negatively impact our ability to go get those double digit rent increases. Um, and, and again, it, all of those things we just continue to monitor and track so that, again, when we're coming into the last month of Q2, we're already think we've already thought about our processes and procedures on how we're going to shake off the rust or how we're going to do this a little bit better to capture that next 10% that aids our rent growth, you know, two and a half percentage points. So a really long winded explanation, but we're, we're looking at those macro level trends as directly ties statistically and to our key performance indicators to our operations and, and thus our, our monetary ability to push our assets to the next level. Well, if you're an, uh, if you're an owner investor and you want to know what it sounds like, 
for to have an institutional class operator who really has your best interests at heart. I think you just heard it from. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so Matt, we have we, you know, we try to keep these podcasts to twenty to thirty minutes, um, and uh, there's a there's a lot here that you've touched on that I think would be interesting to the audience. I'm trying to figure out where we go to from here. Um, on one hand, I'm interested in hearing how MEB handles your your build to rent purpose built single family home. Um, model because that's really interesting as a as a uh, as an investment vehicle that's really gaining a lot of traction right now and and how you solve for managing individual units that um, can be across a geographically disparate area is, is interesting um, I think we have to bring you back for that and the hotel yeah. the hotel bit because what I what I'm also really interested in especially given the climate we're in right now and you you alluded to this earlier when we talked about uh, how there was a day when when you uh, you had to uh, look hard to find a maintenance position. We're now in the exact opposite world where uh, the great resignation is upon us and and folks are leaving this industry and others in droves. Um, and yet uh, one of the key hallmarks of MEB you were mentioning is the happy quotient that you have out in the field. So let's talk about culturally as an operator, how do you, um, how do you keep your employees engaged? I, I think you mentioned, I'll say this, you mentioned transparency, like sharing with them the business plan for each apartment building. That, that's also that very interesting. But expand on that, if you will. From a training standpoint, from a culture standpoint, what do you do to increase that happy quotient of your teams in the field? Yeah, and, and again, I think uh, paramount to, to that is all, not only how MEB handles that, but I think how we as an industry handle that. And I've really... It is a little head scratching when you understand that multifamily and the, the multifamily industry is a one trillion dollar business, but yet nobody coming out of high school, nobody coming out of college is like multifamily. That's my career path. It's it's you you fall backwards into it, or you know somebody, and that's how you end up in multifamily. But but then you you run into these individuals that have these absolutely storied, unbelievably great, wonderful careers, and, and they've impacted tens of thousands of individuals either through renting their homes or developing them in their career. And and, and MEB is, is exceptionally unique in that way. MEB is 20, 23 years old, and we I, I, I can walk out of my office right now and introduce everybody to multiple individuals that have been with MEB since day one. They're 23-year employees that have an unbelievable story to tell. And and again, and I, part of me really and truly believes that's the culture set from the top down, yes, but also how we engage one another uh, laterally. So number one, I think MEB truly invests in their team members and their families. And I want to make that very clear. MEB is a family-oriented company. Uh, and and it's kind of hard to understand that until you're in this environment. But when you have the principal of the company going up to a manager and asking them how their son or daughter or mom or dad are doing, and they reference them by name, and they know what's going on in their life, that screams more about culture than anything you know ever on a website, anything that's ever published in the media, but it's, it's their attitude. And by the way, uh, 
do you understand the undertaking it, it must be to to remember the name of 500 employees family members i mean it's it's unbelievable but our our principals take that initiative they they really work and stretch themselves to engage and invest in their team members and and, and make sure that they're they're feeling engaged and impassioned in what they're doing and and i think that that's that's critical uh for for the long-term success of the industry we we've all got to kind of move to the, to that direction but i i'm a millennial and so one of the other items though that i think is is really important that meb does exceptionally well and, and again and i think we as an industry need to recognize and engage in is how our millennial and gen z team members feel like they are positively impacting their organization. I think everybody knows that any one of our team members could quit their job tomorrow and go job hunting and probably find another job making a dollar more an hour. Maybe it's 30 cents more an hour, doesn't matter. But the thing that keeps our employees with MEB is they have a real sense of pride and ownership in the company because they know that they're making an impact not only on their asset not only on their residents but also on our organization we're extremely transparent we're very open to suggestions before we roll out an initiative it's vetted by a team of 36 individuals and these are people that are going to have skin in the game so if i want to roll out an if i have a bright idea I'm not rolling it out until 36 people absolutely tear it to shreds and, and tell me, hey, did you think about this problem? Hey, what about this? How do, we, how do we roll this out and get our teams to buy in and really want to work this program well? And I'll tell you, that process makes me a better operator, makes me more thoughtful in, in my ideas before I even you know, make a recommendation or a suggestion. But most importantly, they, those individuals that are, are paramount to the rollout of this process have buy-in and have a voice and they are heard and they are, and they are valued. And they know that. And that's critical. That's something that a lot of people don't think. They think it's a top-down organization. And that can't happen. That's, that's, a, that's a fast way to lose some, some high-quality employees. Wow, so uh, that's a that's a heavy bout of engagement. Uh, that's really impressive. And um, what about? Let's talk a little about. So, so you've got you you've got transparency. You have some real um, personal engagement at the senior levels within MEB. How about on the training side? Is there is is there any component of this rely on on training or? Um, processes that you got that you guys have in place that makes it easier to operate on site. Yeah, so I, I think number one for me, it's MEB really manages people, uh, and we jokingly say kind of real estate gets in the way. Uh, you know, we we know that if our again if we if we manage our people well, our people are engaged. They're they're provided the tools that are necessary to do their job, not only well, but really, really well. 
we know that they're, that we're going to be successful ultimately. But uh, kind of talking about training, training our team members to engage our prospects and our residents is arguably one of the most important parts of training that I think kind of gets overlooked. And I'm not necessarily talking about selling an apartment. That's that's kind of the easy button, if you will, for engaging prospects and residents. But I want to talk about how we engage residents after they've rented. I want to talk about how we we create a sense of uh, of trust and a, a sense of community. The the from the moment that they're they're uh, you know going to tour the community, literally from the moment that they they walk in the door, that that first contact all the way through the remainder of their lease. And so we spend a lot of time talking about that. One of the things that I highly encourage uh, our onsite team members to do is read two books. And these two books have really aided and developed me in my career as I'm doing this. But Number one is uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World, a guy named Og Mandino, an absolutely fantastic book. Really gets you kind of thinking about your thought processes and how you engage. And then Nicholas uh, Boothman, who uh, wrote the book, uh, How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. And so really uh, stressing those kind of two perspectives on getting people to buy you, buy what you're selling. It's its not just the box that they're moving into, but they're buying you and your service. When you know their dishwasher goes down at 2 a.m., they need to have faith and confidence that if they pick up the phone and there's water leaking out on their floor, that your, that your maintenance supervisor or your maintenance tech is going to show up and, and help them through their crisis. And, and so that's, that's really paramount for us. Um, and, and again, and I think it translates well for our, our team members to uh, have those training tools and those aids and also the support, uh, again, from the principal level down that we've done it, we know how hard it is, and we're not going to make your life harder just because we're going to find ways to provide you opportunities to make your life better uh, while working. So maybe it would be interesting to hear you address uh, a couple of trends that have emerged as we've come out of of COVID. I mean, God willing, we're, we're coming out of it um, because uh, they sort of fly in the face of a couple of things that I think you personally value very much. One of them is that um, I think for a long time, we all told ourselves the same story that you just said, which is that when somebody moves in to your community, they're, they're moving in, they're buying you as much as they are yep. the community. And yet... We've seen the rise of virtual leasing um, take hold somewhat. Um, we've seen bots answering leasing inquiries and making appointments and, and sometimes even more advanced functionality. Um, what do you, how do you feel about that trend given the import that you place on the personal connection? Yeah, so, and, and, and that is an absolutely wonderful question. So providing a variety of leasing services for prospective residents has been a crucial piece of MEB's game plan in the pandemic. Understanding that the way we've always done it, and again, and I'm talking not MEB, but as an industry. How Mary you know, would have done it. How Mary would have done it, uh, it, it. How we engage in that sales process is not always right. I mean, look at how, uh, and I'll use car examples, but look at how Tesla and look at how Carvana and CarMax has completely changed 
the purchase the, the the process of purchasing a vehicle you can buy a tesla compl almost completely without seeing somebody it's it's absolutely ph ph phenomenal and w what's important to understand is that this cookie cutter idea on how a prospect is going to rent an apartment is no longer the case bots the ability for uh, self-guided tours or, or completely virtual tours has taken hold and has only been accelerated by the pandemic. Um, and, and our job as operators are not to fight trends that are being embraced by the consumer. Our job as a operator is to better understand those trends and deploy them efficiently. And one of the things, uh, Harvard Business did, a, did an absolutely great article about uh, adoption in, uh, in automated uh, learning devices. And I, I was blown away by what their statement was. And it was that the, real the, the best case scenario for engaging these automated devices or these uh, learning devices is to engage them as an augmentation to human capital, not a replacement. And I think that's critical for us to understand. The I, And again, look, I think we've all been in, involved in conversations where we want to roll out a marketing strategy. We want to roll out a chat bot. And inevitably, the next question is, is, well, are we going to be able to cut a leasing position because we've rolled out this chat bot? And our answer is no. These devices do not replace human capital. They simply augment our team. Engaging in this practice, I believe, will, will really allow for greater adoption in our industry and will change how we view our day-to-day -day operational uh, components of our leasing agents. They're not replacing leasing agents, but they're shifting that process. We're, um, we're, we're really moving people away from those kind of redundant uh, low value uh, strategies, if you will. I think um, if I remember right, you had Allison Brown on, on on this podcast, and she brought up a very similar uh, note. And it was what she said was fantastic: is how can we you best utilize these chatbots, these automated learning devices, to remove that low value or low touch point from our human capital and then redeploy our human capital to those connection points where we know that those residents that really do value a phone call versus a text message. How do we redeploy that human capital to allow that connection to happen efficiently and provide a better experience for the end user? Yeah, I, I, bravo. I, I've heard that's expressed in a number of, of ways that you know anything that, uh, if it's something that requires process, let a let a computer do it. If it's something that yep. requires an emotional understanding, then you need a you need a human to do that part. And um, and there's a lot of emotionally charged matters in running operations that that folks could spend more time with. So sure. um, I agree with you totally. Um, since we're, we're we're like I said, we probably could talk for another hour just on this subject. But since we're running out of time, I want to ask you, Matt, especially given you're a second generation operator here in the business. Um, is there any advice you would give 
to anybody considering getting into the multifamily business that they should know, um, good or bad, like what you wish you had known, what you wish Mary had shared with you, or maybe what Mary warned you about. I'm not sure, yeah. but uh, what what you want to pass on to the next generation of potential uh, VPs of operations that are listening today. Yeah, uh, and eternally grateful that Mary kept a lot of things hidden from me so I didn't have nightmares at night. You know, it's always good. But uh, one of the things that I tell, uh, and, and it's uh, kind of funny, I, uh, I went, I, I, I brought in a, a new guy into MEB as a porter on one of our deals, and he was the son of a friend of mine. And uh, I introduced him, and he and he kind of asked me the same question. And I, my answer was, "Man, dive in, dive in head first, and understand fully that you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And there is no handbook that will cover every little nuanced engagement that you'll have in multifamily. You're going to make a mistake. We all do. And." My hope is that we as an organization at MEB, and again, uh, hopefully as an industry, we have uh, those individuals around us that see that this person can make this their long-term career and engage them and are committed to their development and coach them to the next level. Um, I was talking with a leasing agent that had just gotten promoted to being an assistant manager, and it was her, her last day uh, with me in my portfolio. And uh, she asked me, again, a kind of a similar question. Uh, and I said, look, one, the, the really interesting thing that happens in, in, as you progress through this is you shift what you're, what you're good at. And so you go from a leasing agent, you're really good at sales and follow-up and making connections to being an assistant manager where – you're, you're really focused on financial understanding. You're, you're, you're focused on running down delinquency. You're focused on getting bills paid or you're focused on, uh, you know, kind of the, the back end office stuff. And then you move into the manager's role. And by the way, you're never ready to be a manager. I don't care what anybody tells you. You go from the assistant manager position to the manager position. You're never ready. And all of a sudden now you've got to build a team. You've got to hire people. You've got to work through HR complaints. You've You've got to deal with a boss that's out of corporate. You've got to deal with the ownership group. And it's like, you know, everything that is on fire all at once, right? And I said, the the biggest piece of advice I can tell you is, is be fully committed and, and really go for it. Don't, you know, don't let up when it gets hard. That that just means you're you're about ready to go to that next level. And then I said, look, and when you become a manager, the best piece of advice I can give you is show up two hours before the office opens and work really hard and do that for three straight years. And after you do that for about three straight years, you might have an idea on how hard it is to be a community manager and you might be successful. But just engage. Get into the process. Know you're going to make mistakes, but work. Grind. Find that that thing you're passionate about and, and devote yourself wholeheartedly to it and, and, and make, you know, make no apologies for it. Uh, be okay with, with loving your career, even when it gets hard. It, it, it's still a good learning moment. You've still got a great career ahead of you. Uh, and, and just continue to trust the process, but grind, get through it. Uh, 
and you'll be amazed at what you'll be able to accomplish. Don't, you know, don't, don't shy away from it. Find and get through it might, might be a great title for this, for this whole, uh, yeah. episode, this episode. Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, Professor Rogers, this has been enlightening for all of us. Uh, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say, let's try to do a, 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 a round two here because there's a lot more you have to say to folks. I think uh, that would be of interest, but I do appreciate your, your time today. Um, if they want to get, if somebody's interested in, in MEB services, Matt, how they, who should they get a hold of? Yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also uh, find out all of our information and reach out to us. We're on the web at mebaptscom um, and Daniel, again, man, thank you for having me on. Absolutely wonderful. I would love, love a round two. I got, I've got some, some great people in MEB I would love for you guys to meet and hear from. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks so much for your time today, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Class is now dismissed. My office hours are posted. So thank you for logging in and listening today. If you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here at the Apartment Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com, and click Help Me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights into ways that you can immediately improve apartment operations. Until then, the Apartment Academy is out of session. <laughs>